you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL Podcast. Always delivers the mail. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I come to you from a virtual room filled with some heroes. Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal. You know, guys, I... Uh, I saw this uh, tweet, Mark, that you sent late last night from your boy, Baker Mayfield. I'm going <laughs> to read it right here. Okay, uh, please. And uh, we're going to break it down. And by the way, Baker's profile info reads headband and Justin Timberlake fan. Uh, uh, too bad Ricky's not on today's show. Believe, <laughs> let go, and let God build different MMO. Okay, here is uh, the tweet. Almost 100%. M, fill in the, the blank there, Mark. Is that his wife? Emily's his, yes, his wife, yes. Emily, okay. yeah. Were you Emily's at the wedding? Lady. No, no, I don't, they don't consider me someone that would go to their wedding at all, not even remotely. Almost 100% M and I, I have a wife named Emily. I've never once used M, just to be clear. Just getting everything out there. I have a wife named Emika. And you I, use do M? Use, I do use M sometimes. There you yeah. go. Sometimes. There you go. Mark. I, I wouldn't good. write it out. Wouldn't write it out. But yeah. Almost one hundred percent relatable. Yeah. M and I just saw a UFO drop straight out of the sky on our way home from dinner. We stopped and looked at each other and asked if either of us saw it. Very bright ball of light going straight down out of the sky toward Lake Travis. Anybody else witness this? Kind of a insane tweet from a franchise quarterback, but also different. And I know you like that, Mark. I I loved it. I immediately realized why he is the quarterback of my favorite team. And I think, you know, <laughs> I think it takes a little bit of um, bravado to put that tweet out there because you're immediately going to get killed by 97% of people. No, right? So killed. Well, Who's going to kill him? All right. Can, can these aliens turn it down here a little yeah, this bit? Is a, this is they, some... Yeah, they're aggressive. I think we we get the tone. Um, look, I I, be- Mark's I believe. Mark's very serious him. about this. I like. No, I believe him because I think this stuff is happening. I told you when I when I came. Well, you up said with my you tweeted. Like your tweet was, "This is my quarterback forever." Now, yes, this it is because finally won you over. Well, I you know we had just gotten together actually last night, the three of us, and you guys ate some, if I recall, jerk chicken, and I had some. Uh, curried vegetables. Uh, very nice meal. The three of us. How had. repulsed were you by our uh, eating? No, not at all. I don't. That's not. That's not who I am. That's not. I. I don't go down that road. And then I got home and I saw this tweet and I thought, the world is growing stranger by the minute. Um, and it's it. Uh, no one is free of it. I couldn't be more excited that they had this spotting. And I believe you, Baker Mayfield and Emily Mayfield. I believe you. <laughs> I. I mean, I'm. My wife is from Texas. A lot of connections here, Mark. And. Mm-hmm. Um, she grew up outside. Well, where was she last night? I'm starting to get slightly suspicious. <laughs> I don't know. I was out to dinner with you. Uh-oh. But um, she grew up in a small town outside of Waco, Texas. 
and really in the shadow of Fort Hood, um, the U.S. military base, where they they do a lot of uh, training and also um, experimenting with different uh, equipment. Some of it flying apparatus, apparati, or is it just apparatus? And sometimes it would you would see crazy stuff in the sky. And sometimes, and Emily grew up kind of almost on like a, a farm. Um, the the U.S. military would just touch down like in the middle of like a crop field. And uh, but my my feeling in this situation is that uh, Texas, this is probably some type of military uh, aircraft and not an actual alien spaceship. And and I think it should be clear that a UFO is an unidentified flying object. Baker's not saying it was aliens. He was just right. saying something weird was in the sky. Unidentified. Can I ask you this question? I mean, we, this is that's that's just the great thing I think that they've come up with is we blame. No, we just suggest it's military operations, which are innately right. covert. Um, if you for me and I, you know, I am anti at this point after what our country's been through. I'm not digging into insane stuff, but I would say this, like I am curious as to where our military got some of the incredible technology that is not used in common mm-hmm. day um, practices. Um, there are interesting reports and there are actually like ex-military from the 40s and 50s who are like, I'm 95, come assassinate me if you'd wish, but I do have some things to share and I have secrets. So I think the umbrella of the military is one that allows us to quickly explain things away. But that's a talk for another time. I think they obviously saw something weird or ate something weird at their, at dinner. <laughs> Save it for the heat and light podcast. You know? Reboot. Yes. Definitely. I, um, I, yeah, I think two things can be true that there is some legitimate, um, investigations and, and proof lately about, you know, life, uh, outside of this earth that that's worth investigating and that this thing they saw in the sky is, you know, probably easy, easily explainable that this one example, you know, just cause you saw something, I see things in the sky all the time, you know, is there, sentient, there's probably an explanation, you know, is Why there jump right to that sentient alien life form, uh, in this solar system beyond us. Well, what is sense? You mean like a like, like kind of like being. us? Yeah, thinking okay. beings in the solar system is. I would say I think that the w- there's not a it's unknown, but there's not a lot to suggest that um, as proof. But I would say this: what would be more American and megalomaniac to think that we're the only people um, amongst the billions of clusters and planets and stars and unex- undiscovered corners of a universe that we only know half of one billionth percent about. I mean, that we're the only, hey, look at us. And we've figured it out, by the way. Let's, I mean, we've figured it out here in America. We are- Get off the the fence, by the way. Well, and also we're doing, we're also doing awesome. Like we're doing a bang up job. This earth is going to be in great shape a long time and everyone's happy. Mark, get Mars, off the is fence, like, Mars is yes like, no. wait, you've landed on our planet. He said no. I was a little surprised there. He said no, basically. That's what I'm No, saying. I do think there is. In mm. our solar system, I think is is that's a that's okay. a small little space. Got you. And what happened over in Roswell 47? That's a question for another day. All right. Sure. What happened in Waco? That's a question for another day. Lots of you know suspect areas <laughs> that's here. That's true. That's true. I'm with what, you, by the way. There's something what happened there. at Baylor? That was a disaster, too. <laughs> Remember that? Uh, you know, it's uh, Baylor. That was an ugly time in Baylor's history, but it doesn't. It's not the the full picture of the the university. All right. 
Now I'm defending I, Baylor. I, I forgot. Yeah, I forgot your connection to. I just yes. meant that part of the world's had a lot of crazy. No, there's probably things. some really nice like science students doing nice experiments <laughs> there too. So it's there are a lot of good happenings. Um, today's show is uh, a good one. We have uh, Mike Tannenbaum, former NFL uh, general manager, and now he is doing his thing uh, on the media side of things. In fact, he just uh, um, he launched a, a website recently. The 33rd team. The 33rd team. So make sure uh, you check that out. He's going to join us. We're going to catch up with him and talk about what's going on <clears throat> in our league. Um, and we're going to do some quarterback talk. It's a good show. But before we get into talking about some quarterbacks in limbo and and um, an article I wrote on NFL.com this this week, do, would, you, would you guys check out this Ravens overtime proposal? It's pretty I find interesting. It, I find it wild, yeah. So um, – this I'm reading off a PFT report um, per multiple sources with knowledge of the situation. The Ravens will be proposing a pair of overtime procedures premised on the concept of spot and choose one team. There's a still coin flip. The team that wins the coin flip has the option or has the opportunity to spot the ball. So they could say anywhere on the field, um, and then the other team that loses the coin toss gets the chance to say, okay, we'll take the ball from that spot that you've set or we'll defend uh, from that spot. And I guess it takes away the chance on some level and makes it a choice uh, for the two teams. And it would eliminate um, the, uh, it would become sudden death again. It would return, revert to sudden death, uh, but lessening the impact of the coin toss. Greg, what are your thoughts about this? I think it's fascinating. I'm all for uh, innovative thinking. It makes me think there's not much chance of it actually passing because, you know, they didn't do the fourth and 15 idea that they've talked about uh, instead of onside kicks. This to me is similar. I think you can also choose, okay, I'll take the ball. And then if you win the coin toss and then the other team's like, okay, you get it at the five or what, you know, I'm not sure what the order is. Uh, no, the order is the team that wins the coin toss sets the. Why yardage. wouldn't you put the, put them at their at their own one yard line every time? If that and were then the, you go, you then give the other team the choice of what the yardage that the winning right. coin toss team chose. So the the fact that there's two proposals that are similar ish, um, in that the the Patriots apparently support another version of this where you uh, play it for seven and a half minutes no matter what. And the Ravens have one that it would be sudden death. Uh, strikes me that the chances they're already not aligned, even the, which way to do this, that it's going to be tough to get a consensus, but I love it. I, I think it would give the analytics department something to do. I would not be trusting Andy Reed to just be making up his mind on the spot. I mean, you guys, these guys can't even, you know, no one to take a timeout at the end of the half. So you better like have your plan of what you're going to do coming into the game uh, if you hit the overtime, but it's fun. Let's add some strategy. There's not that many overtimes anyway, so let's play around with them. I do. I think John Harbaugh is very aggressive with his uh, this time of year with the Ravens always seem to come up with stuff like this. It um, the analytics community will go nuts and think about this when NFL Twitter um, discovers a team that hasn't really dipped into analytics and they're taking the ball at like their own the, at their own 40 or something and everyone's going absolutely nuts. So there's going to be a lot of uh, weigh ins and a lot of opinions and that is good and bad. But I think it's a spicy rule 
I Plus, approve. What if you have the Rams defense from a year ago and you're playing a, a mediocre offense and you're like, we'll, we'll, we'll say the 31. Let's not even make an even number. 31. Uh, you guys can take the ball. That, you know, take the ball, Bengals, with Brandon Allen. You get it first because uh, we think we're going to stop you and then all we got to do is kick a field goal to win. I mean, it, there is a lot of uh, fun strategy that would come from Yeah, that. I mean, you mentioned the 40, Mark. I think that's a no-brainer. But then once you start to tick backwards and you get to around the 30, if your offense isn't that good, uh, you're going to probably think twice about, am I going to be able to march the 60 yards or whatever to get into scoring range? According to, I don't know where this comes from, uh, but according to the uh, Florio post on PFT, uh, and I'll use I'll quote it. It's believed that the break even point would be the 13 yard line for the 14 or beyond the team choosing offense or defense will be more likely to take the ball for the 12 or closer. The team choosing offense or defense will be more likely to opt to defend. I mean, a lot of factors beyond that would make sense. I don't know where he gets that, but uh, I guess it kind of I could see playing out that way. But I don't know the Belichick angle of it, Greg. That, so that's the other proposal does that mean that it would be the 10 minute overtime and then belichick saying there would be another seven and a half minutes like, no he's saying ooh, just no. make it a no he's saying there's a le- regular seven and a half minute overtime period so not even 10 you, you you bump it down two and a half minutes and whoever's leading at the end of that wins you know oh, so no sudden death component at all no sudden death but in theory if you know it, it would give the second team a chance perhaps uh, to to go back and and score to match it. it that would be that would be fun. I'm all for shorter overtimes either. I don't need a long one. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Good stuff. All right. Uh, let's yeah. Let's talk a little quarterbacks before we get uh, Mr. T on the phone here. Uh, like I said, wrote a piece on NFL.com, and I I I was looking through. I did the same exercise last year, and I feel like it didn't always used to be this way, but things have been a little funky uh, in the last uh, couple of years in the NFL where a really high number of quarterbacks are in a little bit of limbo this time of year. And I counted 15 guys um, right now. And I have as like, like last year, the big domino was Tom Brady and everything was about Brady and wherever he landed. Then you started to figure out the rest of the pieces this year. It's it, it kind of is Deshaun Watson, but because the way the Texans have handled this and they've purposefully uh, they're either, you know, have their head in the sand and are not going to trade this quarterback no matter what he's saying or the message he's sending, or they're just deciding to keep it murky and do it on their own timetable. It kind of puts all these teams in a really tough position about how long do you wait? Is if it happen if they if they're not going to pull the trigger on a deal before the draft, you can't like be passing on quarterbacks in the draft on the hope that Deshaun Watson comes available. So it's kind of a strange situation, but he's just like the first guy and. I'll I'll use one example from this list, and I'd like to hear you guys, a uh, quarterback that jumps out to you uh, when you break down kind of where their paths can can ride. So Jimmy Garoppolo for the 49ers, as an example. I think the best case scenario for Jimmy G is, is that the 49ers, they do their homework, they study all their options here, uh, they kick the tires under Sean Watson, they look at the um, veterans out there, uh, they check the draft class, and they say, eh, you know what? we got this guy in our house. Let's give him one more try. And, and, and then Kyle Shanahan says, 
all right, he's our guy. Let's the media know that there's no drama and he gets he gets his shot. The worst case scenario, obviously, is they get a quarterback from an outside source and Garoppolo gets put in this situation where his career goes from this perfect landing spot with San Francisco with great coaching and great personnel and just gets sent to who knows where and just barely trying to hang on to a starting job in best case scenario in some type of camp battle. Um, and then I think the most likely scenario is and this, and let me know if you agree. I do think he's their quarterback in 2021, despite all the smoke out there. I, I, if I had to guess, I don't see the same desperation with John Lynch and Kyle Shannon, at least outwardly, that we saw uh, with the Rams and Jared Goff. And I think it points to most likely him getting a do or die fifth season in San Francisco. I, I agree with that because I think they know they're in a in a flexible position for, for Deshaun Watson. They are in the best position in my mind of any team in terms of being able to wait it out. They are not in the best position of having the draft assets like the Jets or, or some other teams because number one, Jimmy G people think, Oh, that Jimmy G contract. He's not making that much money. He's sort of at almost the minimum of what franchise quarterbacks are right now, which is like 25 million. You don't want to be paying Jimmy G that if he stinks, but there's no guarantees. The bigger thing is you can trade him. You can cut him. You can do anything with no cap hit whatsoever. Anytime you want, you can do it in August. You can do it in May. So they are in a unique position uh, to wait out. They also know there might be a market for Jimmy G. I think the Patriots would gladly take on that quarterback contract depending on uh where they're at at that point in the offseason but i also think they look at what's around there and out there and they don't see anyone better than jimmy g so they can just sort of hang tight so i think you know like i do you know i think that in general i kind of buy the idea that yeah we have faith in him yeah we want to bring him back um there's whispers that they are interested in Kirk cousins there was whispers last year about tom brady it's like i think their thing is this like the Deshaun Watson thing is a real possibility if they had a chance, because I think it's like you don't do this to Jimmy G and you don't do it after everything you've said, unless you have a chance to get a franchise altering type quarterback that no fan of the 49ers would disagree with that scenario. I mean, for me, the Jimmy G thing, the experience has been rocked a little bit by his durability. Like I just, we've seen two seasons of Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco totally sideswiped by him being out of the lineup. And when he's been in the lineup, I don't think he's nearly as good as that five game introduction he had when we were all writing amazing think pieces. Cause he looked like the next big thing. He's not been that guy ever since. Mm. All right. Throw out another name there. I don't even care if it's on my list, but I bet he is. They want, they won some playoff games. Poor Jimmy G, you know, he threw like seven one passes for you. on that Super Bowl ride. Go ahead, Mark. <laughs> how about how about your guy, Sam Darnold? I think it's a very interesting case because, you know, Sam Darnold, for someone that's essentially sort of struggled but shown great moments, little moments too, that I think have kept the people that um, were fascinated with Sam Darnold when he came out of USC um, alive and in hope that he could restore his career. And you'd have to look at the Jets and say, yes, he was put in a terrible situation. So, I'll start with the worst case scenario. I think that that is, um, you know, they have the chance to get Deshaun or they just go take Zach Wilson at number two. And Darnold's very brief um, but touted New York career comes to an end. He's sh- maybe he's shift to a team like the Bears and they don't have their act together. And then by 2024, he's hosting like inside USC 
on Channel 97 here in Los Angeles, and he's out of the NFL. It's like you're just out. Like maybe you run out of chances, and there's too he's many. Take good Mark young... Sanchez's job on that. I was uh, gonna say, is that a Sanchez exactly. hit? Is that well? You know, it's because it, Barkley's like... still in the league. I was like, does that, does Barkley have that job? I was like, no, Barkley's actually outlasting Sanchez quietly. It's kind of amazing how many USC quarterbacks wind up just on television. So I think that'd be the worst case because it would make me sad. Liner, to... liner, could have liner. Been liner. Yeah. Best case for me, and I think this is the thing. I could see this, and Dan, you kind of suggested this. And I don't know if they're wedded to the concept of this. It's a little risky if they pass up on someone who becomes great out of the draft. You keep Darnold. You've got this amazing chance to build around him for the first time. And I also do think that with Mike LaFleur coming in and running an offense that quarterbacks have thrived in, it's a Kyle Shanahan-type offense, you might get the version of Sam Darnold that we've all waited for. I mean, it's just been someone who's been in a terribly unfair situation. That's your best case. What do I think will happen? I think they'll they'll just be too compelled to move on because almost Ooh. like because there's too much there's too many intriguing options and the hype on Zach Wilson and the chance for Deshaun Watson it's just too juicy and I think because you can get something back for Sam Darnold and sell it as we're giving him a new opportunity too that the divorce feels imminent. But it makes me feel a little bit sad for old school Jets fans because I do think he can go on and succeed elsewhere. And if anything went wrong with what New York's behind number door number two scenario was and Darnold went somewhere else and led another team to the playoffs. Oh, boy. So I I, I mean, that is somewhere good. That's the Jets worst case scenario. But you know what? If and I think they're going to take Zach Wilson. There's a lot of breadcrumbs out there. You look at move the sticks where he's mocking him and you kind of connect some dots there. Um, if that guy can play, it doesn't really matter. Unless Sam Darnold becomes Joe Montana, I think Jets fans are going to be okay with it. But you're right um, that there is a worst case scenario, and then every, any team that's any fan that's a fan of a tortured fan base or a part of a tortured fan base always imagines the worst case scenario that Darnold becomes the real deal. But like ultimately, I think what what Greg has been pounding the table about is like. It's it's it it checks out. It's like Darnold did have three years. I know it was in a bad situation, but he had opportunities too to put more out there. And it just it's ultimately, I think, especially for a new regime with Salah there and Douglas having total control, it's a little bit too much of a leap of faith to believe in Darnold mm. still. And that's why I think they really should kind of reset things um, if they truly do love Zach Wilson or or some, another quarterback. so it, I mean, the, it's funny because the Bears are the worst case scenario for everyone. Sorry. Although the Patriots are, are pretty close uh, right now. You, you would think they'd figure out how to uh, make it better around them. But last year it was a pretty, pretty bad worst case scenario. I, I kind of think, though, that it's more likely he'll be there with um, a Zach Wilson type, which feels messy, but I think wow. would be the right move unless you get uh, a significant return. I don't know who's given up a second round pick for Sam Darnold. Are they going to trade him for a third? Maybe, maybe there, they would. I'm I sure. think everything you well, hear, Greg, is that people like, there are people that like Darnold okay. much more who, than you who do. Who is it? I know you I get don't, it though. But, yeah. Okay. Maybe it's the bears, but I just don't know. Like where are the teams that are giving up high draft picks for quarterbacks? Like name, right. them. name them. I don't know who, Maybe the Bears you get a and the shocker Patriots. like Denver. What about the Broncos? The Bears, like, the Patriots, you know. and Denver are kind of the three that stand out. Right. And yeah, Denver, maybe, and maybe it's a third, or maybe 49ers. it's a second. And you're right. 
Texans. I mean, the 49ers would be a, a best case scenario. I feel like if they got, you know, for Darnold, um, where you, you really do get a chance to, to remake your career. I, I, if I was the jets, I'd feel like I can't ever find a quarterback. I'd rather have two on my roster. Everyone's so worried about, you know, if you're really strong in your organization and what you're going to do, uh, let's see them both. Let's see them both. Oh, that would be terrible. We have two quarterbacks we like. Oh, my gosh. That would be terrible. Like, if all you're getting back is a third-round pick, be confident enough that you can handle the media and the clowns and the fans. And let's see what Darnold looks like uh, with – because we never know. Maybe this Wilson guy is not going to look as good as we think, or let's see it play out. You are positing a scenario here that hasn't really been floated, though, Greg. You're Because we're not – and nobody really knows, but we haven't been hearing, oh, the Jets, the most they can get for Sam Darnold is a – third round pick like if that's the case it does become a well, he's conversation on the, he's on the team it. and we keep hearing from jets reporters they're asking for a second right and so the fact that they're starting at a second it indicates to me maybe no that no one's offered it to him i don't think well, it, or, or it's the sam bradford thing and you trade him in september when someone right. else's knee shatters and you get him at max value which would be cunning after what will be the it will be messy to have them both there with the New York tabloids exploding and going nuts day after day. That's well, he also could be a nice piece on draft day to make some moves there sure. too. Hey, let's move up for another top pick uh, and use Darnold to do that. That that could be possible. Yeah, hey, little Darnold, come on, all right, relax, calm down. Little little peek behind the curtain. I've Dan, you know, we, we've got Tannenbaum. I think he's waiting. Like, have we totally finished this QB segment? We have now coming up. It's the off season. It's like it's I know this is the type of thing that stresses Dan out a little bit. We can I, revisit I this I'm too. Chill. So, you know. I'm cool as a cucumber here. We're good. Um <laughs> do we have Mike Tannenbaum? Steven Ta- uh, Manny filling in for Erica Tamposi. We do. If we do, let's let's bring him on there. He is. Wow. In I was the out flesh. getting my friendly full, so I'm sorry if I was a couple <laughs> minutes late. You, no. know, you know what the tie-in, what a friendly frivol is tie-in for this podcast? What's I, that? I do. I know. So Greg is from Wilbraham, Massachusetts, the home of the original friendlies. <laughs> I feel like, Mike, you've been on the show before, and I remember that nugget from last time. <laughs> Uh, as well. Uh, Mike Tannenbaum, you you know him. He's ESPN's NFL front office insider, which is a nice title. Good job by Mike there. And of course, the former GM of the Jets, uh, EVP um, uh, with the Miami Dolphins. He has a new gig, the 33rd team. Want to get to that a little bit later, Mike. Um, But, you know, as a former uh, GM, I just want to start, Mike, and ask you about this Deshaun Watson situation because we've had a conversation on this podcast um, about like what is too much for Deshaun Watson is there a price that's too high for a guy like him and as a former GM do you think that there are um, front office uh, decision makers that are kind of spooked by this whole thing because you could be in a position where you give up the farm to get this quarterback and then it might end up getting you fired uh, by the third year of Watson on the new team because you weren't able to stock the cupboard around him. A bit of a dicey situation for a GM? Yeah, that's a simple question, a complicated answer. Uh, great to be with you guys. And the short answer is no, there's not too much. Get up, I've offered my daughter, who, by the way, is totally not salary cap for So there's actually <laughs> a little bit of a win. I, I was Ryan Pace in another segment. I offered like the Chicago, the Sears Tower. And in all seriousness, have – 
one of the five best players who's high character leader under contract, 25 years old. He checks every box. You can give up five first round picks. When you study the history of our game and the, the, the best of the best, the Ron Wolfs of the world, on average, it's about 58 or 59 percent success rate on first rounders. And of course, that depends if you're in the top five or the bottom five. But the other thing, guys, what did we just learn from Tom Brady? What an unbelievable association he created. People walk to Tampa Bay to play with Tom. The same thing is going to happen. And with the cap going down this year, guys, and so many good football players are going to get squeezed, just because you don't have first-round picks doesn't mean you won't be able to acquire good players. And players are going to want to play with Deshaun Watson. So it's an unexpected opportunity. I spent a couple of decades of my life trying to find players like Deshaun Watson. Mm. If you could ever get one, like, I, and I said this, and I, and I mean it, guys, if Nick Cassero ever called me, I would not get off the phone. It was like when I was closing out the Brett Favre trade at the Jets, and I felt like there was finally a deal to be had, and we could get him over Tampa Bay. Like, I was not laying those dudes off the phone. Like, this is an opportunity that hardly ever comes around. And maybe, and I'm saying this, maybe, maybe Jacksonville straight up for Trevor Lawrence would be the one situation I wouldn't do it for. But beyond that, 100%, go get them, and you could figure out everything else. But my question for you, I mean, if you are Nick Casario and you waited so long to get this opportunity, I mean, almost overly patient. He was in in New England with offers and interest for years. It, it, you land in Houston, and you've really been airdropped into a the as thorny a situation as I can think of GM having to deal with in so long. The Jack Easterby business, the Cal McNair, there just seems to be a bit of a culture war going on inside the building. Yes, he could get a lot in return, but you'll always be the GM that came in and soon after J.J. Watt's out the door, Deshaun Watson's out the door. You're hoping the guy you get to replace him at quarterback would be uh, you know, the equal or better. But do you think he feels behind the scenes like, what the heck have I done here? Did I <laughs> land in the middle of like an NFL war zone? So – there's one guy that can fix this situation. It's Cal McNair. And something obviously happened here, guys, because Deshaun Watson signed the contract after DeAndre Hopkins was traded. And that's really important. To, to The context is really important. So the most important person in this franchise isn't Jack Easterby, isn't David Coley, isn't Nick Cassero. It's Deshaun Watson. That's why he's getting paid $39 million a year. So if I'm Cal McNair, I am solving the problem. I am flying to wherever he wants me to fly to. I am taking my yellow pad out. And I'm asking question after question of not what happened, but why it happened. And we're going to stand shoulder to shoulder and fix it. And if I'm Cal McNair, I'm taking Nick Casario with me. And if it means moving on from everybody else in the building, I don't care because Deshaun, you're going to be here. And what's interesting is for Nick, he's earned this opportunity. He's a hard worker. He's a good person, but he is in a tough position. I will say this. I just don't imagine there's a scenario why where they would trade him because there's some other wow. tremendous intangibles, which is put yourself in Nick Casario's shoes. Like, what do you stand for? So you hit a bump in the road. The player's upset. We know that. But when you sign a contract, it also means something. Like, you just can't indiscriminately walk away from that. And if you're Nick and you, let's say, get three ones in Quinn and Williams or whatever, the challenge you're going to have is there will be some other bump in the road at some point. When you have 90 players, 90 contracts, 90 agents, 90 egos, it never just goes smooth, right? And if you do that in the first couple months of your administration, you have zero chance to build anything sustainable because everyone else is going to run the same play that Deshaun Watson did. So mm. 
there is some real big picture, compelling sort of dynamics here. And if I was Nick, what I would simply say, and I tried this with Rex Ryan and Woody Johnson when we had a big holdout with Darrell Rivas, is we have to stand shoulder to shoulder. And if I'm Nick Casario, what I'm saying is, guys, no matter what, we aren't even talking about training him until February of 2022. And maybe the new legacy of the AFC South is this is where great quarterbacks go to retire. Because if Deshaun Watson rather retire than play here, we should honor him and celebrate that. But we can't trade him because we trade him. We stand for nothing. Mm. Well, that's sort of how he's playing it right now, it seems like. I mean, that he's not picking up the phone. I I am curious, like, you know, as as a GM. And by the way, I appreciated the Fribble reference, you know, the Friendlies reference. Greg, your your body language was somewhat indifferent, I got to tell you. No, no. I mean, Greg Greg worked there, by the way. Greg, didn't you were an employee? I was a waiter there. Dan just scooped right past it. I was ready. I was ready to talk. I, you know, that was you. You got out of a shift at Friendly's. Your your hands were dirty at the end. I started as a dishwasher, worked my way up. It's like it was like the Kanye song right there. Um, but you you you're a forward GM. Like, how do you use the media in this way? Because like that is like I I'm curious as someone who went through it. It's like GMs do use the media. They never talk about like how they use the media, but it's it's getting out there in a way that like Casario's not picking up the phone. So to me, that feels like a message that they're sending. Like that that is the message they want out there publicly right now. Is like we're not even entertaining it uh, right now. Yeah, there's probably a lot of different feelings going through Nick. Like I know in my situation, you know, publicly I was like trying to be as smooth as I could. Like hey. You know, we have all the respect in the world for the player and, and say all this sort of like classic sound bites. But I had a massive pit in my stomach because I knew like at the Jets that year, we had a great team. And I didn't want to be the one guy to send us home by not getting the deal done. And, Nick, you know, you don't get these jobs without being uber competitive and wanting to win. And I'm sure deep down, you know, if you would just open up Nick Casero and tear him in half, like I'm sure he's having a lot of sleepless nights and – you can, you know, it's interesting. I'm not so sure he's leaking that to the media because right. his audience really is Cal McNair and David Culley. Like, and, and then from there, it's obviously the locker room. I think the other interesting dynamic guys that, again, there's so many layers to unpack here, but think about like you're trying to build, like David Culley's 65 years old. He finally gets an opportunity of lifetime. How are you going to be able to attract a player to sign there until right. this is resolved? How are you going to convince Will Fuller like to come back? to play for A.J. McCarron. So this really is, and I've said this before, which is if they are going to trade them, they really need to do it ASAP. As other quarterbacks or other situations get solidified, it just makes their market smaller and smaller. So their worst-case scenario is that they get to September, October, and this still isn't resolved. Mm. Yeah, and I I would think if – one move that A.J. McCarron could do is uh, to impress Will Fuller, take the shirt off and show that wild tattoo situation all over all over his torso. Just, just that's me just spitballing. Um, hey, your colleague, uh, your colleague, Diana Rossini, uh, Mike, texted or tweeted yesterday, just texted with an NFL head coach about the upcoming cuts and what he expects. Here's the quote. It's going to be a massacre next week all around the league. Does this feel to you, Mike? or Mr. T, as Francesa used to call you. Does this feel like <laughs> a perfect storm type scenario for smart teams that have some salary cap wiggle room right now? Yeah, I think teams are going to be rewarded for being patient. You know, it's interesting. You look at the J.J. Watt deal. 
And when you really think about it, I think J.J. Watt got a great deal for him just from a standpoint when you think about his age, his injury history, and in 10 days, if the four of us were having this conversation, we would be saying, like, I can't believe that player X or player Y is out there. I think it's a great point, which is there will be some really opportunistic signings. And I think if we look at the two Super Bowl teams, you're going to see players like the Daniel Sorensons of the world, Sammy Watkins, and then, you know, with Tampa Bay, after Godwin, Levante David, and Shaq Barrett, you know, a lot of those players I don't think are going to do, like in Dominican Sousa free agent. Obviously, Antonio Brown and Gronk probably go back there at cheap prices, but I think a lot of good players will be available in, in the coming weeks. Mm. I would love to ask you this because this is hot on my radar. Um, you know, we learned a lot during a pandemic-ridden offseason last year that maybe we don't need – everything that the NFL throws at us during the offseason, the, the 45 billion OTAs. And for me, it's the preseason because you're Mark a GM. And, less work. Mark well, no, I would just work. say that as you, you would, you'd probably, I would imagine come from the angle. Like I know people think the preseason is unenjoyable, but here's why we need it. And I, it, but do we need as much of it? And, and do you feel like the way that they came to, um, you know, decisions and cuts last year for you is, is it something that you'd say a less is more in this situation or do we go old school and bring it all back? The Snoopy Bowl, the Hall of Fame game, the whole thing. <laughs> the Snoopy Bowl. We got our ass kicked in a lot of those Snoopy Bowls. Like those were rugged. Game. Very competitive. I remember, I remember Rex calling out Tom Coughlin. I'm like, really? Like, do we have to do that like, right now? It's August, Rex. Like, we got a long. There's a lot of times for you to be aggrieved. There's a lot of times for you to be belligerent. Like, is it really with Tom over like the third preseason game? Like, do we have to go there? I remember, like, shaking Jerry Reese's hands, just shaking my head. You know, like, come on, man. Like. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I think as many things in life, it's going to be probably somewhere in the middle. You know, when you speak to people around the league, there are efficiencies with Zoom and some offseason in terms of like installs, like the conversation we're having here now. I think some of these are going to be here to stay. So here's the big challenge, though, which is and this goes back years ago with my ESPN colleague, Jeff Saturday, which is. When Jeff came out, he was a developmental offensive lineman, and he was a very prominent person in the union. And some of the rules that they agreed to with having reductions, massive reductions in the offseason, hurt players like Jeff Saturday from developing. And here's really the ultimate conundrum. J.C. Treader is financially set. He doesn't need the offseason program, and they're going to push for, hey, we don't need it. Look at the great product on the field. But what about all the younger players that desperately need it? And, and that's why this is not a one-size-fits-all sport because those younger players need it to make it. The veterans don't want to do it anymore because they really just work out on their own. And that's why I think you're going to see something in the middle where maybe it's not nine weeks anymore, maybe it's five or six, and maybe it's mandatory based on you know years of service. Um, and I think mm. there's some compromises in there. And in terms of the preseason games, I think what we're just going to see is, you know, that up to a regular season game with obviously sounds like we're on the precipice of a 17 game regular season. I I don't like the preseason the way we have it now, because anytime you're in a situation where you're just trying to survive and not get hurt, not accomplishing anything. And so many teams are going to those joint practices and all the coaches I've been with, they like those better because you can script competition where, hey, let's have, you know, good against good in the red zone or one-on-one or pass rush 
and you can evaluate and could get good work without, again, there's always going to be risk of injuries, but you could sort of like minimize that. So that's why I think we're going to see tweaking to the system, but I don't think it's going to be all one way or the other. Hmm. How do you feel about that, Mark? Is that an answer that makes you feel better about the future? No, that's a reduction. I, I think right down the middle and some changes make sense. And, uh, you know, if Mike T is saying that's the case, then I'm going <laughs> to ride with that because that's how it works. Are you are you proud or embarrassed um, that you're the only general manager that's ever come up to us at the owner's meeting and admitted you listened to our show? <laughs> that, that, that's a burden I'm proud of. I mean, Okay, you know, good. I mean, I, I can't be the only one, but you know, maybe I'm the only one that is, you know, I don't smart or dumb enough to admit it. So, yeah, you guys, you guys <laughs> that's what I'm getting at. That's tell, what I'm hey, getting Mike, tell us about this 33rd team venture. So, I, I totally stumbled into something, guys, that I'm very excited about, very proud of. When I got the position at ESPN, it was very soon after leaving the Dolphins and big transition, and I got it was a real privilege to replace Bill Polian. So as Greg and his, you know, knowing the Western Massachusetts uh, geography, drove from Bristol, Connecticut to UMass Amherst, where I've done a lot with uh, the sports manager program, I hired some really smart grad students to help me create a database because I was doing the draft for ESPN Radio. And it went so well that the uh, program decided to have a bunch of students work for me and they got credit. And what I quickly realized was there's a number of head coaches and GMs that are between opportunities that want to stay current. So I started this weekly Zoom call and we're up to 50 people. And it's incredible. Like two weeks ago, we had Wade Phillips breaking down Todd Bowles' game plan. Yesterday, we had Eric Mangini talking about like the corners in the draft. We do game management, cap, um, draft character versus ability. And really what I found is a lot of these coaches, like Dan Quinn's a great example. Dan was on, and a couple of the grad students did a bunch of research projects for him that he wanted to work on. Mm. And we put out a free newsletter, uh, the 33rd completely free. And I'm really, what it energizes me about it is there's a lot of young men and women that want to get involved with football that are doing volunteer research projects. And then there's coaches that are, you know, Mark Trestman, who's coached Steve Young and Joe Montana, you know, breaking down Justin Herbert compared to Tua. And um, through the magic of Zoom, it's, you know, it's working and it's been great. And mm. I feel like for me, like I get better as a broadcaster and get just great information. And if I can help other young people get to where they want to go, then that's uh, even better. I would tell you one quick thing that like when I was a senior in college and my dream was to work for the Cleveland Browns, this is back in like 1995, that two like months before I graduated, they announced they were moving to Baltimore and became like the arch enemies of the Browns. I thought, <laughs> well, A, that's bad. But B, I was left with no career path. And my first job was um, at Columbia Library, putting metal strips into library books for like eight fifty an hour with my parents wondering what on earth have we done with this person? So I wish this existed back then. I would have been um, a hardcore member of the group. So it sounds I, great. Do you know that I worked for the Browns in 1995? Oh, look I at know that. You did. <laughs> I know the history in your way. I mean, I, I think Mark, if you want to, you get wanted your job. NFL, I don't know. I don't know what the, you know, the 33rd team guys feel like. I think you have to open up your mind to working for uh, more than just one team. Mm, you can't, you can't just be like, I'm a Browns fan. <laughs> I'm only working for the Browns. Screw you. The other rest of the, well, I was a child team. back then, Greg. I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't, an, you know, not, not the full blown mature, 
you know, uh, right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Here, I, um, want, I want you guys to do a little research project on uh, GMs. This is, a, I, I have a quick bone to pick. I know we got to let you go, but it's like, of like GMs always evaluating free agents based on their college draft profiles. I feel like they do that all the time. It doesn't make any sense. You have four years of the NFL to to evaluate it on, but maybe someone's going to be like, well, like that Sam Darnold guy, we thought he was the third best player in the draft, so I'm going to give up a good pick for him now. Well, you were wrong about that draft evaluation. It seems like that happens like a lot. Am I crazy that that happens a lot in the NFL, that they do it off the draft like five years later? Yeah, no, that's totally fair, Greg. I think that's one of the challenges of working the front office is to say, hey, like, that's the beginning of the conversation. And Mitch Trubisky was picked before Deshaun Watson. That hasn't turned out the way it should. That's not to say that's the end of Mitch Trubisky's career. I mean, that could be a great opportunity for him to go someplace else. But we can't ignore the four years of the tape that um, he has. I think, and Dan Orlovsky and I have had some knockdown dragouts about this. I think the Darnold conversation is so fascinating because you have to factor in are you going to exercise the fifth-year option? And I don't see how in good conscience you can yeah. do that based on how much he's turned the ball over. And then when you compare that, guys, to Zach Wilson, like I don't think that's a really hard decision at all. Like How can you invest at least another $25 million? And again, remember, that option is now fully guaranteed in what would be 2022, where you have a guy like Zach Wilson who, even if you felt like it was like this, which I don't think it is, I think it's Wilson and then Darnold, but let's say you're sitting here like it's a coin toss. How can you then say, like, well, now I want to go guarantee another $25 million for Sam Darnold? And that's why I think you really, um, when you talk about evaluating these guys, you've got to factor in, like, where you think the economics are going to end as well. That mm-hmm. makes sense. That makes sense. 33rdteam.com, the33rdteam.com. And before we say goodbye, Mike, I want to play, uh, uh, I want to play one clip. I'm a big Jets fan, Mike, going way back, tortured fan. And I want to play this clip, and then I have a question to ask you, okay? And it's a very serious question. I want your honest answer. Can you give me that? Uh, Boy, I, I think I know where we're going here. <laughs> All right, here's the play first. Here's the play first. Steven did it. Poor guy. I mean, he comes around. He's going to It's January 2010, AFC Championship game. Steelers up 24-19 over your Jets. You're the GM. There's, it's third and six, two minutes to play. Ben to AB, first down, game over. Now, as a Jets fan, I've always thought if the D can get off the field there, the Jets get it done. Do the Jets complete the comeback with Mark Sanchez if they just get off the field on third and six? 150%. There's <laughs> yes. no doubt in my mind. No doubt in my mind. It was all going. The wave. It was a momentum wave. Mr. C. <laughs> uh, it, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, you know, what, you know what kills me? Go back to the first third down that game. They call hands to the face on Cromartie. 50 yards away from the freaking play. Had nothing to do with it. And we're off the field. It's a three and out. And they score on that drive. And at some point, I'll get over it. Like, look, I'm not well adjusted. You know, like Tony Corrente is a great official. Guy's a cancer survivor. Like he's a great official, but that poor guy in the 2009 championship game, we're going out for the coin toss. And he says, "New York Giants, Indianapolis Colts." No, we're the New York effing Jets, Tony. And the night before, I saw, saw him at uh, at um, uh, St. Elmo's, and, I, and like very nice. Congratulate, blah blah blah. 
And now every time I see Tony Carini, all I think about is he called us the Giants, not the Jets in the 2009 <laughs> championship game. I mean, here's like a great official, cancer survivor, great dude, and he missed me, and I can't get over it. Like that, yeah. I can't get over. And I, you know, I'm just well, Mike. You know, I the Jets. You. The Jets have not been back to the playoffs since uh, you were the man in charge. And when they one day get over the hump, God willing, uh, we'll all on some level celebrate it. Um, mm. Thank you, Mike. Well, not Greg, but uh, thank you, nah. uh, Mike, for joining us. And good luck with everything uh, this season. And, uh, yeah, we really enjoyed it. And the friendlies talk is always fun as well. Thanks. <laughs> and uh, is it okay for me to admit that I continue to listen to you guys, even, Ooh, even you. as a non-GM? Thank you. We'll, no, we'll have you on in the, the show now. So yeah, we'll have you on in the future, and then like pull another painful scab right at the end of, end of the interview uh, <laughs> that time too. <laughs> All right, there he goes, Mike Tannenbaum. Thanks, Thanks Mike. guys. All right, that's that's a good man. We like Mike Tannenbaum. He's a certified friend of the show, and we played um, Tulane grad. By the way, didn't even get to that. We have all uh, sorts of connections. He, a lot of he, connections. Yes. We played the, the Greg's audi- father. I, it's it it. I, it's just it's a possibility. It's, it's possible. Greg Tannenbaum. I, I like that. Um, played the clip. The you know the audio audience doesn't hear that. I didn't see it, but we played the clip of that third and six, and that was now hell eleven years ago. And Ben escapes right from Sean Ellis and the Jets' pass rush. Uh, scrambles to his right and then hits a young Antonio Brown. Like, as I watch that clip, first of all, Ben looks about 25 pounds lighter and he moves, he can move. And uh, it did make me think on the day that we learned that the Steelers and and Big Ben came uh, to agreement on a deal and he will be back in Pittsburgh officially. Um, that is a done deal. Um, but he's not that guy anymore. So the Steelers just need to have a backup plan and I hope they do. And then listen, uh, smart organizations ultimately make smart decisions. And I, I do think bringing big, big Ben back it had, there's some logic to it, but only if you upgrade what's behind him. And in front of him, the offensive line, it, it's true. I think Ben's uh, mobility was always an underrated part of his game. Cause it's not like he was like running for first downs. Uh, and of course he was known for, you know, being very tough to take down, but he also like, like a Brady was very good at like the subtle sort of pocket movement and moving up, moving back, moving down and just keeping those plays going. And that ain't, that's not happening anymore. I don't think that part's coming back for him. He was uh, as frustrating a quarterback. If you were the opposing team to deal with that, that was around it. And there were a moment there were, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not comparing him to this player, but he had little Elway esque traits to him where you just thought on third and 18, this guy is about to be taken down. He's got three players on him. Bang, he's escaped. He completes the pass to Heinz Ward. Super annoying. Uh, I will say this. Like, I really do have respect for the player. I do. I, I do. I do. I am mystified. That's always a bad sign. When when Casario well, started calling Deshaun Watson the player or Cal McNair did, they were like, uh-oh, It's not a bad not sign good. for me. I, I don't mean, think he, the man he has cares a name. at all. But the man if, has if, a name. here's the thing. I invite the Steelers. Um, to roll out the same offense that we saw all over the past two months of the season. Let's yeah, see if you can make yeah, that work next year. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a the, he's not coming back to the Steelers team of a couple years ago that's just wait knocking on the door of the Super Bowl. It's a very challenging final year scenario. Mm. We'll see. 
I'm with you. It's funny because you've been getting on me for, based on you two jokers. Just let's no, I wouldn't say that. But they've got. I want to see what they do in the off season because they they have a lot of work to do. But you take that offense, you subtract three starting offensive linemen, you subtract Juju, uh, James Conner. Not that that's a huge loss. Hey, there's a lot going on. It's funny because you've been getting on me for being anti Ben, and yet I really think of myself as like. I think he's one of the greats. I think he's underrated. Like for the first 10 until 2018, I don't think there's like nearly as big a gap, for instance, between him and Drew Brees in terms of just like who was a better player throughout their career. I'd give Brees the edge, but I don't think it's huge. Like I think he was basically, if you consider them in the same era, a solid like number three behind uh, Brady and Breeze. And, ben is and, an easy Hall of Famer. I don't know what right. I mean, there's oh, it's nothing not even, left for him to prove. It's right. just like I think this could be an a, an unpleasant final chapter. Now I have been they wrong this, about right, him. They before. kept his stats wrong, down for a while because of the way they ran their offense. But he was like so efficient and so tough. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm certainly not saying that he's going to light it up next year. I think they need to just be smarter about you. You can't run out. Uh, Dwayne Haskins and if if things go no. sideways with Ben or if he gets hurt you know you got to do better than Mason Rudolph um, speaking of you mentioned uh, Drew Brees and just circling back before we say goodbye to our conversation before Mr. T I have James Winston on uh, oh, yeah. my list of 15 quarterbacks in a bit of limbo here and you know for that I had best case scenario that because Rap Sheet reported on Super Bowl Sunday that he was in the driver's seat, Winston was, for the Saints' starting job. Uh, the wide assumption was that Drew Brees was retiring. But then there was a report or a video that came out last week uh, with Brees and his personal trainer, and he's setting personal records in sled pushing. And he still hasn't announced that he's retiring. <laughs> and listen, by, by the time this podcast comes out, maybe he drops a press release. But like, it's becoming increasingly, I don't know, possible that Breeze actually does return. I know that he did rework his contract in a way uh, that makes it seem like retirement is still imminent, but he still has to come to that decision as an athlete that I'm done. And I just wonder if the organization gives him the path and is okay with it. If Drew Breeze actually does retire, wow. and if that's the case, that would be really bad news for you, Greg, because you have so much invested <laughs> in Jameis Winston. And the worst case scenario for Winston is that Breeze doesn't retire and Winston either has to decide to play an understudy again and hope he gets an opportunity or he hits the open market, goes elsewhere, which would be bad news for Jameis Winston because he's in a perfect spot to reboot his career. He kind of needs Drew Brees to kiss off right now. And the longer it goes that he doesn't, I'm sure it's a source of anxiety. for uh, I'd be shocked if Brees comes back based on the fact that he signed this contract that kind of reduced his cap figure and his, his salary right now to make it easier. So you're right. He he is stretching it out a little bit. And just retire. Like what's what's the delay then? And why is he he, working out so vigorously? You're probably, you're probably right that there's, there's some second thoughts or third thoughts. I mean, yeah, the worst case scenario for Jameis is probably Chicago or being a backup somewhere. Poor Chicago. I, a similar, a similar scenario that's pretty bad is returning to New Orleans and oh, he, he pulls the uh, okie doke and there's Taysom Hill starting that quarterback for Week One again and like you just you just sit there behind him. I I would be intrigued to see him on the Patriots. Um, that would be intriguing. I think Which, who. 
Jameis Winston. But I, <laughs> but I recognize, I recognize that for my overly ambitious rankings, which I now regret, I, I was like, I would just knock all those quarterbacks down 10 to 15 spots. Um, like Boston radio told someone told me that they did it like an hour on WEI, which I appreciate all press is good press of just like making fun of how high I had Cam Newton ranked. So that's did they really, Oh, I don't know if that's true. Interesting. Well, Stephen Manny filling in again for Erica Tamposi. And by the way, Stephen Manny is our metrics Svengali here at NFL media. He knows where the bodies are buried and it makes him very dangerous. So uh, be on the right side of Stephen Manny is all I'm saying. Uh, how you doing, buddy? I'm I'm doing all right. You know, I, I don't know about dangerous, but, you know, every now and then I get to put together a PowerPoint with like smiley faces and frowny faces for the, <laughs> for the podcast. And that's about as dangerous as it gets. As I could give you a frowny face. Well, you're dangerous for the, the shadowy league figures because you have to give them the report that's like, hey, this around the NFL podcast does numbers. They deserve some moolah. Like, <laughs> like it's just in the numbers. That's that's what we're looking for from you, Stephen. I, I don't know if we want to let it get to your head too much, Greg. But uh, the, the numbers <laughs> too, uh, too late. Numbers are the numbers do okay. And but you know, if, to be a few shows out there that aren't doing well, who are they? And can you share that yes, information stop, with us, please? Stop. And if you want to inflate, if you want to, don't answer that, Stephen. If you want to inflate uh, certain numbers for the purposes of getting us paid, we will maybe give you a little taste on the back end. Mm, back so maybe end. this is stuff we should be saying offline. But yes, you know what I'm talking about, baby. It's a bribe. All right. Um, Greg was mentioning that uh, there was some incoming fire from people up there in New England. If you could ask Erica when she gets back to see if she could track down that radio um, slaughterhouse involving Greg Rosenthal. That would be awesome. I'm not too far away from there. I, we'll see what we can do. I'm in Rhode Island right now. I, I think oh, okay. Can, yeah, Maybe we can make that Head over there. Head yeah, over Greg, there. I know the feeling, Greg, by the way, because that happened to me, um, and I was actually in the hospital, but you know, at some point it tweeted that if Josh Gordon um, went to the Patriots that I would drink bleach. You know, I just tweeted it out on like a Friday night sometime, and then bang, Totally normal it, tweet by a person. Sure. Uh, looking back, that was a suspect move. But um, WEEI pounced on that. I don't think they had an hour long rollout, but they right. had I don't, fun with it. So. Somehow I think this got exaggerated uh, through the Twitter sphere, but they, they banged on it a little bit. Uh, that's good. That's good. Get anyway, so, yeah, the, that's those are a few of the quarterbacks that um, you can read about there. NFL.com slash Hans uh, if you want to check out the whole list. And um, boys, uh, anything else before we. Head on off into um, the sunset for this episode. Mm. Anything to get off here? And I just want to say, because I don't, I don't want, I, I don't want to get any tweets. Oh, Dan's not a believer. Uh, you know, he's a megalomaniac, American, or whatever that thing was. I do think there is life um, oh. beyond uh, where we are. I think it would be foolhardy to just assume uh, that we are the only. Um, uh, life form uh, operating at the level we operate. Now you could get into a situation because I've watched enough twilight zones and this is what you got to watch out for that. We're just assuming, is there anyone as smart as us? No, no, no. You got to worry about the guys with the giant heads and the extra large brains that you actually, it changes the shape of their head though. The smarter beings that want to come and harvest mm. this planet. That's what you got. I'm totally aboard on, on, on board with that being a possibility as well. And I, and when I used the word megalomaniac, I was not aiming that at you. I think that's uh, that was aimed elsewhere. Just so that's clear. 
Well, no, I think I, I didn't want to be seen as uh, falling under that um, uh, banner that you had sure. hung up. You had hoisted up. Well, you're not. Uh, under- I, I like that you have the connection between like big heads mean means they're smarter because the yeah. dinosaurs in there. Well, the dinosaurs had some big heads. They were idiots. Well, did you ever watch a Twilight Zone episode? Well, you no, you were born age thirty two. So, but that. no, like when the brain is really big in certain science fiction, it actually it's like it almost is like a mushroom, and it <laughs> it has to hold the brain that is so giant, uh, and that's when you got to watch out. Can I just say, if you had like a massive brain and you could go anywhere, would you come and hang out with like people? in like Chicago or Texas or Florida. I think you'd have better places to go around the universe. I would just imagine. Well, not right now. Yeah. You know. You know. Well, you harvest. But, it's about a harvest. You clear, you, 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 you till the land here if you catch my drift. Right. Ask these cows that have had like their insides burned out with no evidence of how that happened that are lying in fields. Hey, maybe a cow saw something that we should be aware of, but that's okay. We can dig into that another time. When is the heat and light redux happening? Like, what's going on with that? You and I Connor, told, I told you that, that, was we a, were, that was a podcast you and Connor or did in what year? 2018, maybe or 1996, so. something like 20, that. 2016. <laughs> but uh, we were reached by someone that basically said cease. So it, it we'd have, we got we'd too have, hot. Exactly. And I can't, I cannot literally cannot say anything. You else. touched a third rail somewhere. Yeah. Just mm. uh, that's not untrue. Not surprising. It was like Easterby six years ago. Just. Yeah, that's why it's why Mark's always had a it out for him. That's a fair theory, but that's not I'm not naming names. And we we better wrap before it gets to, you know. Yes. Uh yeah. We will be back uh on Monday with another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. Thank you to everyone who listens. Uh thank you uh to Stephen Manny for pinch hitting and doing great work as he always does. That man knows where the bodies are buried. This is Dan Hansis. Signing off for the quiet storm and the old boss. Yes, until Monday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.